want to ask you the question this morning. What do you value the most in life? Is it relationships? Is it perhaps something that you have in your house? Some, some uh, trophy, some treasure that you have that, that is just so meaningful to you that you can't help but display it. Perhaps it's a, it's a, it's a relationship thing. You, you value that friendship you have with that person and, and that's something that you, you just long to interact with them because you're just so much there that you enjoy and, and it impacts your life. Now for me, I have many things that I value and treasure and, and I, will, I will say that I... <clears throat> treasure outside of my savior i treasure my wife the most and i'm not saying that because i want brownie points i'm saying that because it's true it it is will be three years in less than a month that we've been married um and it's been incredible Uh, my wife is definitely my better half Uh, she she completes me she she does so much she is she is the my the yin to my yang i mean it's just it's just incredible but I value her not because just, I, it's, to this day, I still don't know how she said yes. I don't get it. I don't understand. I look at me in the mirror and I said, I wouldn't want to marry me. Why would my wife? Okay. Uh, but, but yet she still said yes and was gracious in doing so. But, but I value her because she gives me perspective on things that I, I don't have perspective on. She helps me and completes me. When I'm frustrated or angry, she helps calm me down and points me to the truth. Uh, when I'm, I'm struggling with life or just, just trying to figure things out, she's the one that I talk to and go to and, and just you know, kind of get feedback from. And those are the, 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 the things that I treasure about her the most. Well, this morning we have a, this passage of Scripture a treasure before us. And as we unpack this treasure, I want us to, to see it in all of its glory. And my challenge for you this morning is that you and I must treasure our salvation. Just like I treasure my wife in so many different ways and have that affection and love for her because that, that, that relationship is so valuable, so you and I must have, even to a greater degree, that same idea of treasuring our salvation. And what I want to do this morning is I want, to, I want to show you from this passage and answering the question, what is there in, this, in salvation that I can treasure? What is there in salvation that I can treasure? I want to show you three truths from this passage of Scripture. Three, as I, as I, as I put it, these gems of truth about our salvation from this passage that I hope will encourage us to treasure the salvation that we have. The first truth that I see from this passage of Scripture is that our salvation is packed with grace. For by grace you are saved through faith. Very familiar verse to all of us, right? We've learned it in Sunday school and vacation Bible school but Paul uses that little phrase here to draw our attention to the salvation that we have is so full of grace. 
Grace is the channel by which salvation is applied and granted. Again, Paul uses grace is that undeserved favor of God given without qualifications. There are no strings attached to God's grace. Amen? (laughs) Nothing that requires a fulfillment. Nothing that requires you or I to do anything. No, it is all of God's grace. That favor of God that is given to, to me who did not deserve it. To us who do not deserve it. Yet God pours out that grace as we've seen. And He does it so without reservation. And He does it without requirements. And I think it's purposeful to note that Paul mentions grace so we can understand how vital it is to salvation. It is by grace alone that salvation exists. Jumping back to verse 7 of chapter 1, look with me. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of His sins. Notice, according to the riches of His grace. Brothers and sisters, this morning, do you see how vital grace is to your salvation? It is by grace alone that you and I are saved. That's the whole reason. Grace alone gives us salvation. Not our good works, not our efforts, not our church. It is by grace alone. That salvation exists. For by grace. Notice also with me that the grace that God gives us, this gracious gracious salvation, need only occur once in life. He says, by grace you are saved. That phrase, you are saved, shows an action that was completed in the past and doesn't need to be repeated you are saved. Not you, you are being saved right now. Not that you will be saved, but you are saved. That one-time decision that you and I made in the past, whenever it was, that we recognized that we were a sinner, that we recognized there was no way that we were getting to God apart from Jesus Christ, and we received His free gift of salvation. That one-time act of salvation was all that was needed. Because at that point in time, we became members of God's family and then, as, as we use the term, become saved, born again. And I would challenge you this morning, if there's someone who hasn't taken that step of faith, would you do that not because I say it or we, we stand for it because God says it? Because God says, repent. God says, be forgiven of your sins. There is salvation. There is gracious salvation that is available to you. You can be saved. Because at one point, Paul mentions here that you have been, you are saved. And this is a one time, this one time occurrence is acceptable for all eternity. You and I do not need to get saved again and again, even though we sin. Amen? We fail. I fail again and again. But praise God, I only need salvation once. Jesus says in John 10, 28, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. 
neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. God's gracious salvation is given to us once. That's all we need. That's all we need in life. You and I do not need to be saved again and again and again, even though we fail. We do not need to challenge others who, who have accepted faith in Christ and they need to be saved again just because of their lifestyle. We need to show the grace of salvation even to them by pointing them to the fact they've been saved once for all time. The third thing that points out about this salvation as packed with grace is that the perks, the benefits of this gracious salvation occur throughout life. Going on to the, the little word saved there, it shows by its construction that the results of salvation are ongoing. They don't stop. We were saved at one point in time in the past, and the benefits of that continue on. Salvation in, in, in a real sense is a lifelong process. Not that we get saved over life, okay? We have that one point in time where we, we placed our faith and trust in God, and that's sufficient, as Scripture points out. But we enjoy our salvation now. The benefits are for now. We experience it now. Being here this morning as a body of believers, and I trust that's all of us this morning, as a body of believers, we are experiencing the benefit of salvation, aren't we? The very fact that you have trusted Christ, we are coming together as fellow believers, that's a benefit of salvation. The fact that we have the Word of God and are able to worship Him personally in our private devotional life, it's a benefit of salvation. Without salvation, that doesn't exist. Without salvation, our fellowship as a church doesn't exist. There are churches today who meet across this country where not one person is saved and they are not experiencing a benefit of salvation. They call themselves a church, but in reality, they're not. But it's a lifelong process. I, the, the, the illustration that I came up with, and, and this may fail in, in some degree, I don't know, is uh, the fact that I, I'm, I am a member of AAA. Anybody else a member of AAA? No? You guys are that tough. You don't need an a outside service to come start your car or uh, tow you if you get stuck in a, a drift. Okay, I got a lot of growing to do then. Um, but when you sign up for a member of AAA, you get the car and everything. You have those different levels you sign up, right? But the benefits of signing up for AAA don't just last the day you sign up, right? I mean, you go online, you sign up in a form, whatever it might be and you pay your money at whatever point in time, and you get the card and such. But your benefits don't just last for a day. Your benefits last over the time that you're a member, right? So you renew your subscription, and then, and then you get another year of benefits, and you renew and you renew unless you choose to stop. You have, always have the benefits as long as you're paying the subscription fee and, and you have the card. Well, and again, I, that's just a, a, a human physical illustration but the point is still made that, that, that when we got saved, we, we immediately accessed the benefits of our salvation. And those benefits last for a lifetime. Fourthly, from the, this, this point here, God does the saving work in this gracious salvation. Look with me again at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Again, we're highlighting the verb here. You have, you have been saved. 
the, the, that phrase highlights the God factor of salvation. You have been saved. So the, the, the saving is not done by the individual. The saving is done by God because God does it to them. God is the one who saves those who trust in Him. And it's interesting to note here as I was studying this, that the way this, this verbal phrase is used in the grammar, it is constructed to show that there is no... Constructed to show, to eliminate, excuse me, it is constructed to eliminate any human effort to save from divine wrath. There is no possible way that you and I can be saved apart from God. There's no way. You have been saved. The saving is done by God. We don't do it. Humanity does not do it. Which leads me to when I, when I talk with unbelievers, I want to ask them the question, if, if the Bible says that you can't, God only does saving, why are you working for your salvation? You can't save yourself. Now, I'm not going to rush up to someone and tell them that. You can't save yourself. But I am going to say, hey, do you know, do you know what God's Word says? Only God can save. So, why are you working for your salvation? You're not going to get it anyway. Only God can save. Only God is the one who provides salvation, this gracious salvation that we have. And then lastly, and underneath this point, gracious salvation is received by faith, through faith. The word through here shows how salvation is applied to a person's life. It's by faith. It's not by a work. It's not by a thought, a word spoken it is through faith. The word faith here has the idea of to believe on the basis of the reliability of the one trusted. I would use the illustration of taking your car to a mechanic. That requires faith, doesn't it? You drop off your car, you tell them, hey, I got this problem, and you know, could you take care of it for me? You at that point are telling that mechanic that you trust him or her to fix your car. Or tell you the problem if they can't fix it. Because you can't, and so obviously you're trusting someone else to do it. You're trusting that person to analyze what's going on, diagnose, okay, what is the problem, how am I going to fix it, and then do the fixing. So you aren't trusting the shop, you're trusting the person. And when you and I received, received by faith, that salvation, we trusted a person. We decided to place our trust in Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is trustworthy. He is reliable. He has said, I will save you from your sins. I will forgive your sins. Just trust me. And we said, okay. And we placed our faith in Him. It also must be noted that faith is the decision of a person to trust God because God is trustworthy. Faith does not undergo any work nor does it have experience to back that up, but rather it relies on God who has already done the work. So God comes to us and says, I've already done the work, just trust me, and we say okay. God, God tells us in His Word, you, know, you don't need to work for your salvation. You do not need to earn it. I've done the work, just trust me. And we make the conscientious choice to do that to trust God for our salvation. 
And all this leads me to ask this question this morning. Do you acknowledge the grace of God as you testify of your salvation? As you and I go throughout our days, whether we're at work, whether we're in our homes, whether we're talking with our neighbors, whether we're on the phone, we have opportunity to testify of what God has done for us. Are we including grace in that conversation? There's continually temptation, especially on my part, when I, when I talk about Jesus Christ to, to emphasize, you know, I did this and this and this. But when I consider what this passage says, among the other, this, this whole study in Ephesians, I have to reevaluate myself and say, you know, God was gracious to me in allowing me to put me in this position, this position, and God was gracious to give me, to give me the faith to trust Him. Are you emphasizing that in your testimony? Are you talking about God's grace? Or are you talking about what you did? Should we not rather speak of the grace of God in our lives to those who do not know Him so that they can see His grace and not our effort? Because to be honest, our effort isn't even there. So why are we talking about it? Testify of His grace in saving you. Remember there was a man in our, our, our church, my home church where I grew up, Marv Johnson, would always say this uh, in his testimony, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And his whole testimony was God's grace to him. Simple farmer, simple guy, never got married, but he continually testified of God's grace to himself in salvation. And as I look at this passage of Scripture, I ask myself, am I doing the same thing? Am I testifying, acknowledging that God was gracious in saving me? So as we see from this passage of Scripture this morning, the, the, the first gem of truth, if you will, in this treasure of salvation is that it is packed with grace. Secondly, our salvation confirms that God gets the glory. Last part of verse 8 to verse 9. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Our salvation confirms that God gets the glory. Notice here that, that men and women do not have the ability to save themselves. That's the idea of the phrase, and that not of yourselves. Now there's much debate on that phrase, or that little word, that. What does it refer to? Does it refer to faith in verse 8? Does it refer to the whole context or the previous uh, sentences? I, I think it's best when you take everything into consideration, the context, the grammar. Paul is talking about the work of salvation beginning in verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy. And what Paul is saying is that all that he has discussed from verse 4 on, that work is not of human origin. Salvation is all of God. Humanity has nothing to do with it. It's a 
big expression that Paul points to. Little words you talk about a big thing in that all that salvation that, we, that he's talked about is of God. That not of yourselves. You didn't have anything to do with it. Revelation 7.10 reflects this. As, we, as, as you look at that big throne room scene, as John writes, he looks at this, this, this huge mass of humanity that has been saved by the blood of the Lamb. Notice what they say. Listen to what they say in Revelation 7.10. And crying out, loud, out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're not saying salvation is something we've earned. Praise God. Or praise God for the salvation that, that we were able to attain. Well, they say salvation belongs to our God. The praise and honor and glory belongs to Him. Why? Because it doesn't come from us. That not of yourselves. The word of here refers to origin or, or source. Another way you could say this, uh, translate this is, and this didn't come from you. It didn't come from you. It emphasizes the impossibility of salvation by human effort. But here's the interesting thing. People still try. Right? Don't people try to earn their salvation today? You can, you can go to any organization or church and see people trying to earn their way to God, whether it be through their, their offerings of financial gain, whether it be through their, their acts, whether it be you know, you're helping out a particular organization or they're serving different ways. You see people all around us today trying to earn their salvation. Paul says it's not earnable. You didn't do it. We did not have any part to play in salvation. So why is humanity still trying to earn it? I think the answer is pride. I think the answer is, is selfishness. We can, we can make our way to God. But still they try. And Paul says that's impossible. Notice this next phrase. It is the gift of God. God gives salvation without any prerequisites or payments demanded. The word gift here has the, has the idea of a present. And the implication that it is that it is given with no thought of price or favor in mind. You know, we're coming up on Christmas. I'm sure you all have your Christmas lists. You all have your stuff that you're looking to get. Maybe not. Maybe, not. Maybe you just love to give gifts. I don't know. We have a couple, couple of the boys here in the front row. I think they're looking, they've already made, you guys already made out your Christmas lists already? You already got submitted? You're looking for some stuff, I'm assuming? Okay? And so on Christmas morning, what do you do? You go out there and you see all the presents that are wrapped, and I know it was a big thing for me growing up. And you got names on there, and, and if you were like my family growing up, what we did was we divided the presents, um, looked for the names, and then carried them to the particular person where they were sitting, gave it to them, and so they had this big pile. And most oftentimes you'd look over the other person, they got more than me. Uh, but but what is the point of a gift? The point of a gift is given so that the person may enjoy it, but there's no, re, there's no 
reward that is expected of it. My folks, when they gave us gifts for Christmas, didn't expect us to earn those gifts. There wasn't a little note attached in the present saying, here's your present, oh, by the way, you owe me X, Y, and Z. That, that's, not the point of, that's, not, that's no longer a gift. That's, that's a, 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 a earned favor. But Paul points out here in this passage of Scripture, salvation is a gift. And again, aren't you thankful that salvation is a gift? You and I don't have to earn it. You and I do not have to do anything for salvation. Again, the question needs to be asked, what is, what is the phrase, it is the gift of God, referred to? Again, I think this refers, based upon context and grammar, to salvation. Salvation, we could substitute the phrase, salvation is the gift of God, and everything that goes with it. But notice where the salvation comes. It comes from God. Of God shows, that phrase of God shows that salvation finds its source and its application in God alone. There is no other resource that can be turned to for the purpose of eternal salvation. It is the gift of God. Not the gift of man, not the gift of the pastor, or the teacher, or the, the super spiritual person. It is the gift of God. He alone gives salvation. Which leads me to say also that salvation cannot be earned. Salvation cannot be earned. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. The word works here is plural. has the idea of displaying activity or effort. And Paul is not talking about God's working as he's talked about in the previous chapter and a half. No, he's talking about man's works whether Jew or Gentile, whether by the law or without the law, Paul is referring to those human efforts that try to achieve salvation with God. And it's interesting to note that in, 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 in these few verses, Paul has used the word works so many times. It just highlights the complete idiocy of a works-based salvation. No human being can come up with a way to please God. Again, so why are we trying to? Why are, man, why, is, why are men and women in our world today, children, trying to please God when they can't? They have no way to. As hard as they try, they cannot do it. Paul again emphasizes this in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. We looked at this before. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. <laughs> not by works of righteousness. There's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. There's nothing that you and I could do, even now, post-salvation for many of us, that we can do to make, repay God for saving us. It cannot be earned also, we see from this passage, this little phrase right here. If salvation was gained by human effort, God does not get the glory. Lest anyone should boast. That word lest shows purpose. So God orchestrated salvation so much in such a way 
that he only gets the honor and praise for it. And that flies in the face of a lot of, a lot of preaching that goes on today, saying that you can, you can please God and, and you, can, you can save by your own efforts. You can do all these things. But guess what? If you follow that type of thinking, it leads to man getting the glory for salvation and not God. If God, and He did, came down when we were lost without Christ, as we saw at the beginning of chapter 2, to save people who could not respond to Him, to make dead people alive, why would it be so much so that He constructed it to show that man got the glory rather than Him? That makes no sense. God did all these things so He could get the praise and glory, and He is right in doing so. He did it all. Lest anyone should boast. The word anyone here reminds us that there is no special class of humanity that can attain salvation. No one is worthy. There isn't this super, super class of human beings that can make their way to God. There isn't this elite group that exists out there that have this special spiritual insight and therefore they can make their way to God. No one can do it. No president, no king, no mayor, no pauper can make their way to God. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here the word boast refers to me <clears throat> making a boast about something. So some, someone is, is making a boast about what they've done or anything. We, we, we might use the illustration of accomplishments. We all like to make boasts about our accomplishments, don't you? I, so, I was talking to a few people this morning as they came in. So uh, did you get a deer this weekend? And they were telling me about it. And, and, and in a sense, it's boasting. That's okay. It's, I'm, not, I'm not trying to demean any of you for saying that. Dave or Kathy. Uh, but no, um, that, that's, not, that's not bad, okay? That, that's not the, the idea here. The idea here is that God constructed salvation to eliminate any potential boasting situation. So no one could come and say, I saved myself. But God in His grace saves so that He gets the glory and not men or women. God saves so that he gets the glory, that he gets the honor and praise. He did all the work. You and I had no part of it. So he gets the glory. Which leads me to ask this question this morning by way of application. Does your life reflect a life saved by grace or by works? Think about that for a second. Does your life Reflect a life saved by grace or by works. Now, we would all say this morning, for those of you who've trusted Christ as your Savior, we would say definitely by grace. But are we living that way? Are we living like we've saved ourselves or are we living like God graciously saved us? Are we, are we telling people, are we living in such a way that... that our, our whole goal is to, earn, in some sense, earn our salvation while we have it and show people that we've earned it by our good works. 
Are we, are we living in such a way that when we talk to people, we are talking about, again, as the grace of God, are we showing off what we've done for him as evidence, uh, hey, I, I, I did it, I accomplished it? Or are we using our words and using our life and our actions to reflect that it is of God's grace that I am saved? The pastor and, and the founding pastor of my seminary in uh, Lansdale, Pennsylvania, Dr. Robert Jordan always said this. When someone asked him how he was doing, he said, better than I deserve. And his life was continually reflected on the grace that God had shown him. You never heard about what he did for God. You heard about how God was gracious to him and the result of that. Are we living that way in our daily lives? Are we living in a way that reflects the grace of God in our salvation? Or are we living in such a way that we are relying upon our works to make us feel good about being saved? As in some way, we've got to pay God back by doing this and this and this and being involved in this ministry or that thing, or being doing that good work or this good work. We'll talk about good works here in a second. But do we, we in, our, in our lives, in our communities, in our homes, as we chat with our neighbors, as we live, we go to work, we live life, are we reflecting God's grace to us? And not trying to show people that we earned it. That's a danger for all of us this morning. Regardless of how long we've been, however long we've been saved. Avoid the temptation to show off your works, but instead, instead show off His grace. Thirdly, this, we've seen these two gems already, that, that salvation is packed with grace. And then our salvation confirms that God gets the glory. Then finally, this last gem of truth. Our salvation ignites God's exquisite construction project. Our salvation ignites God's exquisite construction project. Look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul is using this phrase, this, this verse this morning, to point out several things. Number one, he points out that God is continually working in the life of a believer. For we are, we are His workmanship. That phrase shows that this is an ongoing reality. God is continually working in us, and He doesn't plan to stop. And what He does is, is spiritually grow us, and this is our identity. We are a work in progress. And what we should do, I mean... In, in, a, in a perhaps less than serious sense, we should all carry around a sign around our neck every day that says, God at work. You know those signs that say men at work that we see on road construction and stuff? We should have a sign that's either you know, permanently attached to us that says, God at work. Because God is continually at work in our lives. And He doesn't stop. For we are. Not we were. Not we might be but we are His workmanship. What does this word workmanship mean? I think, I think it conveys 
a couple of things, and we'll get to that. I'm jumping ahead a little bit on myself. But secondly, this also points out that God is personally involved in sanctifying the believer's life. This, this word, uh, workmanship, is only used twice in all of the New Testament. The other time is used in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. The word means that that which is made and can also be translated work or creation. It's different from the work of man trying to earn salvation. This is God's spiritual work in the life of the believer, growing them in sanctification. Now, the word sanctification, you may not be familiar with it, but briefly is the process that after salvation, we begin this process of growing to be more like Christ, growing more holy. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter. He says, be holy for I am holy. There's this process of being more like God that we're continually on as a believer. That's what we call sanctification. God is personally involved in that because we are His. Notice the possessive pronoun, His workmanship. We're His work of art, if you will. And the work that He is doing is growing us to be more like Christ. For we are His workmanship. God is continually at work in our lives, showing and, and, and conforming us to the image of His Son. It's also worthy to note that since we are His workmanship, it means we belong to Him. God does not work on those who are not His. <laughs> the fact that you are... are, are God is working in your life through perhaps your Bible study, through perhaps the time of worship this morning, perhaps even through interactions with other believers. It shows that God, that you belong to God. And that God is working in your life. And that should be an encouragement to you. Even at times where you feel like God is, God is, is somewhat absent, the very fact that He is in you by virtue of His Holy Spirit and He is working on you shows you that you are not alone. God is intimately involved in you. It's not, it's not just your pastor. It's not just your fellow church member or other spiritual influence. No, it is God who is working. And God is getting the credit for the spiritual progress in your life. Notice also that this, this, this phrase points to the, to the reality that salvation or sanctification is accomplished through Christ. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Again, the word created means to bring something into existence. The construction of the word indicates that the action is happening to the recipient. So we are created in Christ Jesus. Someone is creating it in us. It's interesting also to, interesting also to note that God is the one doing the creating. It is something only He can do. And he's creating something totally new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is all God. Again, we didn't save ourselves by our human effort. And we don't sanctify ourselves. So why are we trying to take the credit? I mean, this flies against the whole self-esteem and self-betterment movement that is happening in the church today. There are many Christians who walk into a church service who are just focused on bettering themselves, getting better and better spiritually, and just, i got to do this and this and this, and just achieve, achieve, achieve. The Bible says here, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that we are doing to achieve that goal. God is doing it in us.
He's doing it in Christ Jesus. This is where it takes place. It, the whole work of sanctification is completed in, in Christ. Not in David Fish. Not anyone else here. It is in Christ. So why are we trying to take the credit for our spiritual progress when God alone is doing the work and He alone is growing us to be more like Him? Notice also too that salvation or sanctification has a purpose. It's good works. Doing good works. This is different from the works that were mentioned previously because those works are specifically talked about works salvation. This is works as a result of salvation. That's the whole purpose of what God is doing. It's for good works. shows purpose. God is working on our lives so that we might do good. These works do not save, but reveal faith. James chapter 2, verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James is saying, Faith without works is impossible. So this is how my faith is evidenced. It is by works. And the works are those things that benefit the believer personally, those around him, and God. These are the moral obediences to God's Word that result in not salvation, but becoming more like God, acting more like God in our lives. Notice also as well as we hit these last few points, sanctification was planned Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That word pre- prepared beforehand just means to plan ahead. This happened in eternity past. God planned ahead for us, after salvation, to do good works. This is God's plan. God is, the, we are not carrying out our own good works as a result of our own initiative, but we are following God's plan. The aspects of salvation are ordained and carried out by God. We are willing participants in these works. God planned ahead for us to be doing good works. And it leads me to ask the question, are we doing them? Are we doing good, not as a a way to earn salvation, but as as an evidence of our salvation? Are we engaged in doing good works? You know, what we're doing with... uh, the Northern Options for Women, the Baby Bottle Campaign, that is a good work because it supports life. And God supports life. God says life is valuable. And so we believe life is valuable and therefore we're going to engage in this. Why? Not because it validates our mission. It is something that God approves of. And so we engage in that. Then finally, from this, this passage as you see on your screen there, sanctification is the lifestyle of the believer, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. In Romans 8.29, Paul writes again, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is our lifestyle. This is what we, who we are and what we do. We're not... To our own selves, we, don't have our, we have our own goals, yes, but ultimately we are to live in such a way that reflects our faith and that is our lifestyle. We are to be conformed to His image. We are to follow His pattern. The word has the idea here of should walk, has the idea of to conduct one's lifestyle. 
And it shows a direct contrast to the life we had before to the life we have now. No longer are we, we laying down with evil works that are derived from a sinful state. No, we are characterized by good works as a result of God working in us. This is how we are to work our, work our lives out. This is how we are to live our lives out. We are to live them in good works. Are we doing that in our lives? Are we living out our faith by good works? Again, not using that as a justification for our salvation, but as a result of our salvation, are we passionately pursuing doing good? And it doesn't have to be a large thing. It doesn't have to be a small thing. But are we pursuing doing good? Because God's ordained that we do that. God has determined that we do good in our lives as He is working on us. It leads me to ask this last question this morning. Are you allowing God to work in your life? Are you allowing God in His sovereign plan as He's planned it out for you to do good works, to you to be sanctified in doing it? Are you allowing Him to work? Because to be honest with you, this morning, we can resist that, can't we? We can go our own way. We can, we can endeavor to do our own thing and thereby we're, we're just nullifying God's work in our lives and God is trying to get us to do this and this and then we say, no, we're going to do this. And it leads me to ask, are we repenting of that and allowing Him to work in our lives? Or are we resisting Him and trying to do our own thing? God has planned for us to do good. And we should. Are we letting Him do that work in our lives? Or are we resisting it? Salvation is a treasure beyond value. And we've seen just a few gems this morning. <laughs> There's much more that we could talk about. But the first gem that we saw this morning is that salvation is packed with grace. For by grace alone you are saved. Second gem of truth we saw is that our salvation is constructed so that God gets the glory. Salvation isn't about man getting the praise. It's about God getting the ultimate glory for what he has done. And we also saw our last gem of truth that our salvation ignites God's exquisite construction project. God is working on us, and salvation has allowed that to happen. Are we letting that happen in our lives? I want to end with this quote by Pastor Steve Lawson, who is uh, down in Dallas, Texas. He runs a huge ministry down there. But he said this, and I think it's quite apropos to our to end this morning. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. Are you and I treasuring our salvation this morning?